but so if I cough or sound raspy, it is um, somewhat for that reason. So if you guys will open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 20. We are actually doing um, in the middle of a, da- a series on the life of David. And <clears throat> today's topic is going to be God's vision for friendship. Um, it's part of um, the famous story of David and Jonathan and their friendship with each other. And before we get into that, I'm going to do a quick review. Can you guys see this screen? Is it okay? Is it too small? It's a little small. The young people are like, it's good. <laughs> the, the older generation is like, mm. but um, you can ask a young person next to you. That's all. But um, review <clears throat> why we're studying the life of David. Um, because, and I didn't know this until I started studying the life of the David this round, but Isaiah 55 verse 4 actually says that God gave David to us as a witness, as a model is how to, we're to posture our hearts. And so more is written about David than any other person in the Bible other than Jesus for that reason. The next, uh, I think Becca taught on the patience and the seasons of life. And it's really neat to watch how to be a person of, after God's own heart in times of elevation and, and times of demotion. And in um, David's life, his different seasons can be categorized in his location. So Bethlehem, Gibeah, Abdullam, Hebron, Judah, like some of them are really high, some of them are really, really low, and then it's like a roller coaster back up and down and up and down. It sounds like some of our lives. And so like we relate to that. And Gibeah <clears throat> is where we're at right now. And Gibeah is where the capital of of the Jewish people used to be under the leadership of Saul. Jerusalem hadn't been established at that point. But Gibeah is the capital. And so uh, David is in a season of elevation, and we find... Uh, as we study it, that uh, seasons of elevation are not always easy. Um, Then I think it was uh, Joseph talks about God seeing the heart of David, that when he was a shepherd boy in the middle of nowhere, um, God saw his heart and anointed him. It talked about how do we kill Goliath in the past, um, how we kill Goliath as being faithful, actually, in the small, and that actually qualified us. Um, to killing Goliath. We don't go from zero to 100, um, but actually faithfulness in the small things is very important to the Lord. Then Joseph talked about faithfulness in the big things. When uh, David was given prestige and power, how he responded to the Lord. And today we're going to talk about faithfulness in friendships. Okay, so um, as we read this passage, uh, I'm going to read it in a little bit, but something that You'll notice in this passage, it is, it is full, I mean, just overflowing with emotion. Uh, this passage between David and Jonathan is full of heartfelt, heart-to-heart conversations with one another. It is with tears overflowing. It is with even uncertainty. Like, they're testing each other's friendship in the midst of, of huge pressure. Hey, like, do you still love me? And so there's a lot of emotion and uncertainty going on in this passage of two friends who are in hot water wondering if the bonds of their friendship will last and withstand the heat. And something that this passage sort of, um, the undercurrent of this passage sort of highlights is that 
our relationships and our ability to love and even be faithful in relationships comes from God and God alone. That we humans actually cannot concoct faithful love without him. Now, some of us may be like, well, you know, non-Christians like love their kids, right, and stuff like that. And that's true. Um, but in the context of huge pressure, of, of huge uh, persecution, like the Bible actually talks about there's going to be days where fathers betray sons and sons betraying fathers and daughters, mothers and mothers, daughters. Like that it is actually uh, the bonds of friendship that are, are knit by the Lord um, with his covenant relationships. Like they endure forever. They are enduring. <clears throat> and that's one thing that we may not even think about because we just think about, hey, I'm compadre with this person, you know. We like the same TV shows or we like the same snacks, you know, whatever it is you build your friendships on. <laughs> but it is actually, um, it is actually deeper that, that God's vision for friendship, like think about it. He created marriage, but he created friendships. He created parenthood. He created children. But the friendship component, God even created that. And when God created that, he had a vision for it. I mean, how deep can the love of our friendships go when we walk in the Lord? And, and today, I hope to cast a vision for that kind of friendship because it's pleasing to our God. Um, so kind of the, the context, let me go ahead and read this first. Uh, so follow along. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one. But 1 Samuel chapter 20, uh, verse 1 to 3, and I'll start there. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But surely as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. <clears throat> now, context is, is, if you remember from uh, last week when Becca taught, Saul was trying to kill David, per usual, and he uh, actually, I think this is, might have been his fourth attempt to kill David, and David's starting to see a pattern. And, but here's the thing, is that the last time Saul tried to kill David, David was hiding with Samuel, and when Saul tried to kill David, he came up and Saul fell under the power of the Holy Spirit and started to prophesy naked. I don't know why naked. I haven't looked in the commentaries yet. Someone can tell me. <laughs> oh, do you know? Oh. Wow, he is stripped of his robe. This is why we let Becca preach. This is why she's qualified. Um, thank you. <laughs> right. That's good. Oof. Juicy nuggets like that in the Bible, right? You just never grow tired of it, no matter how many times you read it. Um, so, so Saul falls under the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And then it's interesting because David, I mean, honestly, if my arch enemy was coming against me four times and then I, I saw him coming towards me with a knife and then he fell under the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be like, hey, everything's good now, right? Like he is, he is being you're just wrecked by the Lord. This is the start of a new season, right? But interestingly enough, David runs, takes opportunity to run to Jonathan and tells Jonathan, hey, like your dad's going to kill me. And Jonathan responds as I would have, which is actually David, like everybody in, in Israel knows, Saul is having a revival. He's all good now. You know, like he is under the anointing. This was like he was in the earlier days. Like, David, you have nothing to be afraid of because anointed people love Jesus. Oh, I can, <laughs> we have some wisdom here in this room. <laughs> but <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, not all the time. But that's the point, because David looks at Jonathan in this passage and kind of calls him out in his uh, naivete, right? He calls him out and says, actually, like, I don't think the anointing equals intimacy. Like, I don't think you recognize, Jonathan, that your father has compromised on sin over and over and over again. I don't think you recognize how dark his heart is. You know, and it's really interesting because that is the progression of sin in our lives. And that's why the Bible says, while it's, it is today, while it is yet today, draw near to the Lord, right? Walk in obedience while you can still hear his voice because there are times, like, if our heart continually hardens against the Lord, it doesn't matter. Like what Becca said last week, it doesn't matter how much godly counsel we have around us. It doesn't matter, even in our family members, how wise they may be, that our heart is prone to the mystery of iniquity, the hardness of sin, that we can no longer uh, think rationally, even when we become anointed by the Lord. And so, um, you know, David calls Jonathan out on this, right? And, and it's interesting because we think about anointed people um, in the church, and even unbeknownst to my own heart, I don't know how much, like, intimacy with God I qualify them for automatically when I see anointing. Um, but here's the thing, is that the most anointed being in heaven, Satan himself, like, even today, I bet when he comes before the Lord, he still has to bow, right? Um, but it goes back to what Samuel was trying to tell Saul earlier, is that, hey, obedience is better than sacrifice. Like, we can be so anointed as a guitar player, as a singer, as a preacher, as whatever gift it may be, but unless we obey, that is the actual qualification of intimacy with God, is obedience. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 actually says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day, many. And so that many part, like the Bible always understates it. So when he says many, it really means many, many, many. Um, on that day, we'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? I mean, he's saying many will say this. In, in other words, this is going to be one of the greatest misconceptions in the body of Christ on that day when Jesus comes back. That if you're anointed, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Why? Depart from me. Why? Workers of lawlessness. You were not obedient. And like David was in the small, when no one was looking, right? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Anointing does not equal intimacy with God. Man looks on the outside, but God looks at my heart. You know, one of the greatest lessons I learned when I was younger, and some of you guys uh, may actually remember this. There was a song um, that was really popular. It was like the number one Christian hit back in the day, and it was called uh, You're My Healer. And (laughs) the song goes, some of you guys don't know this because you're too young for it, but the song goes, I believe you're my healer. And it was a great song. I mean, the number of the drops of tears that were shed across the world over this song and the amount of people that were brought closer to the Lord by this song, right? But the story of this song was the person who actually wrote it had, um, I forget what, he had like cancer or something, and he would he would take his oxygen tank and he would bring it onto stage and he would be singing, I believe you're my healer. And I mean, it was just picture perfect anointed moment. Like everyone was so moved. Come to find out later that um, the guy was of course faking it. Right? <laughs> like they found out that he would actually, his own family would drive him to the hospital and they didn't even know because he would go into the hospital and just sit in the lobby and then come out, right? And, I mean, so many people were shocked at this because it was, like, the number one hit song back in the day. And people started, you know, like, um, oh, man, what's that bookstore that used to be open? The Christian bookstore? Lifeway. Yeah, place at Lifeway, the biggest Christian bookstore, like, took all the CDs down, everything like that. People fell away from the Lord over this, this issue. And, but here's the thing, like, I realize is that that song was anointed, And I'm okay still singing it. It came from the Lord. Like sometimes God anoints people not because that person is good, mostly not because that person is good, but he has compassion on the masses. He has compassion on the sick that needed that song. I believe you're my healer. And he's okay with working through weak and broken people. Um, But we must not make the mistake that just because they're anointed, they're strong in the Lord, right? Um, and so <clears throat> Christians, we often look for anointing, influence, eloquence outside. Your TikTok is great. You have many followers. But God is not looking for anointing. What is he looking for? And what should we be looking for in people that we want to look up to and model? Humility, faithfulness, and especially love that looks like, looks like laying down your life for another. I can't tell you how... Uh, moving it is to me a weak and broken person and how much more moving it must be to the Lord when we when he sees us lay down our lives for one another you know it's so easy to take the stage it's so easy to jump from this church to that church to get what I want and when I want whenever I want but it is the cross the road of the cross to lay down our life for our friends you know, that was the temptation that Becca talked about last week with Jesus. Like, God and Satan offered Jesus the same thing. Like, Satan was just offering it without the way of the cross, without having to lay your life down, right? He said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Like, just bow down to me. You won't have to go through the laying down of your life 
you can have it, right? But God's way was harder. But Jesus would not grapple for equality with God. He wouldn't do that. He waited and, and allowed himself to lay down his life, allowed God to lay down his life, even unto death, right? Um, and so we actually see this happen with Jonathan and David as well, the laying down of his life. Let's read that next passage together. Let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 20. And we just finished verse 3, so we'll start in verse 4. <clears throat> then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. Just pause there on that moment. That, that, that is a powerful statement because Jonathan is just trying to convince David everything is okay. David's telling him it's not okay. But here's the thing is that Jonathan, if David's okay and J David gets what David is supposed to get, Jonathan will not get what Jonathan would probably desire. What I'm trying to say is everybody knew at that time. Even the people of Israel knew. And John Jonathan actually later on says even Saul knows that David is going to be king. And if David's going to be king, then it means that the crown prince, Jonathan, will not. And in this moment, Jonathan has a crossroads. He either helps David, his friend, and loses everything. Or he can just choose to not even support Saul, but just disengage, step back, you know? Let, let Saul do what he's going to do. Let David do what he's doing. Just wash my hands like Pontius Pilate. Right? And so Son Jonathan is at this crossroad. And that powerful verse, I mean, I'm glad that whoever put numbers on this thing, this Bible, put this in an entire verse. Because it says, then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. Like, what a powerful statement of friendship. David says to Jonathan in verse 5, Behold, tomorrow is a new moon, and I shall not fail to sit at the table with the king, but let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks leave of me to run to Bethlehem, this city, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant, but if he's angry, then you know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by your father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? And here we have, here's the motions. Like, if you can see it, if you can read in the pages, the motions of two friends trying to figure out that in the midst of power, and many of us know this, like, power changes people, right? Will their friendship endure when money, fame, power, even, like, the history books written about you increase, honor, promotion, when everything is on the line, and you risk being in reproach, stigma, and losing everything? Like, by just disengaging, what is Jonathan going to choose? And you see that. You hear that in the motions of their voice. 
And it's such a powerful thing in that context when Jonathan says to David, whatever you say, I will do. In that moment, even more than David, Jonathan believes in David's calling. Like David's like, I'm going to die. Jonathan's like, you're not going to die. You have promises over your life. I know it's hard. And in behind that, Jonathan's thinking, and I know that once you win, I lose everything. But I believe in the promises God has over your life. And I'm willing to not just support you, but put my own life on the line to help you. So David hatches a plan that puts Jonathan at risk. And, and David knows this. He knows he's putting the crown prince at risk. And he's not quite sure whether Jonathan loves him that much or maybe Jonathan loved him when, when he killed Goliath. But now that he's not in favor anymore, like, does he still like me even when I'm inconvenient to him? Like, look, if you still love me, help me. But if there's any part of your heart that has changed, like, then hand me over to your father. Go and be king like you're supposed to, right? And it's so powerful what Jonathan says to David. He says, basically, never. Like, Jonathan looks at David and he says, he says specifically, far be it from you. Like, he's literally telling David, far be it from you. Get that thought and doubt away about my love for you and our friendship and what God wants to do in your life and in my life. Get that thought far be it from you. Get it away. My loyalty to you is sound. Um, There's another person in scripture who does the similar thing as Jonathan and David did. Um, And they're both actually uh, in a garden and this person was in a garden too, is actually Jesus. Jesus actually looks at, at his own father and says the same thing, right? He says, like, God, if you will, Father, take this cup from me, but if not, your will be done, right? Like, not my will, but yours. Like, he takes on this heart of Jonathan who tells to David, like, whatever you say, David, I will do. And Jesus has that same loyalty to his own father. Like, whatever you say, Father, I will do, even if it means death on my, my side of things, even if it means, it means I'll be unpopular, I'll be hated, I'll be whatever it may be, not my will, but yours, right? Man, like, this picture of David and Jonathan's loyalty was simply a reflection of the great loyalty that Jesus actually has for his own father. Like, I, I know it's really popular, uh, the, the Christian phrase, like, that um, Jesus died on the cross because uh, uh, his primary motivation was because he loves me and doesn't want me to go to hell, right? And that's not completely wrong. That's not completely wrong. He does love us. He doesn't want us to go to hell. You will be hard-pressed to find the Bible verse for that, though. But what you will find is what Jesus says the first time he's ready to go to the cross. Like that, that hour that it started, when the ball started rolling and it was time. Because Jesus was pushing it off, pushing it off, right? It wasn't time, it wasn't time. But there was one moment that there, it was finally time. And the first thing that Jesus actually says is, Father, the hour has come. 
glorify your son so that you would be glorified. Like, his primary motivation, Jesus' primary motivation for the cross was his loyalty to his father, that his father would receive the glory, right? That he was willing, as Jonathan was, it doesn't matter if he's crowned whatever and gets, you know, money, fame, power, popularity, he's willing to lay it all down for God's anointed. <clears throat> so one thing I was thinking of in the midst of this is um, for us, like following our leader, Jesus, we're going to have the same choice. Like maybe not so much, we don't sense it so much now, but in the days to come, we're going to really have to ask that question. Like are we going to be willing to lay down our life? Like we are like Jonathan. We're part of this world. We are sons and daughters of this age. Like we are on a track with our jobs, with our careers, with the houses that we're building and our, our relationships. We are on a track that we're, we're nobody's building for, for failure. Everyone's building for success, right? But there's going to be a day where that's not compatible with the anointed one, the king, right? David was the anointed one in this story, but there is Jesus, the anointed one. And this world is increasingly becoming more and more like Saul's narrative, where it's increasingly getting more and more demonized. Um, in the beginning, Saul was just angry words. <laughs> then it became inconvenience for David. Then it became spears towards David's head, right? And in the same progression, like this world right now is just angry words starting to become inconvenience for us. But there's a day where demonization naturally and inevitably will be spears. And we have to ask that same question like, as we look at Jesus, we have to be like Jonathan, where we look at King Jesus and we say, hey, we know, we believe that you are the anointed one. That it is not our dominion on this earth, no matter how much the world's telling us that, that this world is yours, take it, you know, whatever it may be. Like, we know it's actually yours, and you will be king over the entire world. And I will lay down my life. We will say to Jesus, Whatever you say, I will do, even if at my, at my own expense, right? And could we tell Jesus that? I mean, could we, that's my desire. I don't know if I'm fully there yet, but I want to tell Jesus, like, like what Jonathan cried out to David and say, far be it from you. Like, Jesus, every doubt you have about my loyalty, like, far be it. Just get it away from you. I'm here for you till the end, and I will stand by the plans that God has for you, Jesus. Right? John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Like, Jesus, you laid down your life for me. Like, give me this opportunity to lay down my life, no matter the cost. Um, I'm actually going to skip a little bit because I have three minutes left. Um, but those of you guys who don't know the narrative of the story, Jonathan goes ahead and does what David tells him to do. And um, 
it's interesting because Saul, you know, Jonathan is here hoping maybe his father had a revival. And uh, he talks to Saul the same way he used to, and be like trying to convince him not to kill David. And instead of Saul being like, yeah, Jonathan, you're right. Like last time, Saul picks up a spear, right? And he actually, like, it's just so, like, crazy what Saul says to Jonathan. And he actually says, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. I mean, that's just like, man, why did you bring mom into that, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. But, like, he is, his temper is just gone, right? It's, it's completely out of control. And he, he yells at Jonathan in front of everybody. I mean, the generals and all the court. And he yells at Jonathan and he says, if you don't give David to me, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, don't you know that if you don't give him to me, your kingdom will never be established? That doesn't hurt Jonathan. Like, it hurts that his dad says that to him, but that temptation is not tempting to Jonathan. Right? And who knows, in the days to come, if if the enemy would say to us, like, you stand to lose your kingdom. Don't you understand, you fool? Like, loyalty to Jesus, you will lose this, that, this, that, that. What Saul calls Jonathan as foolish, God calls loyalty. And we're called to be loyal, as Jesus was to us. I'm going to skip down, but anyway, it's a very, it's a really powerful story, and sometimes, like, I read it, and I actually tear up at this part, because Jonathan's heartbroken, and he realizes, as much as he loves, loves David, like, they can't be together, like, his father is going to kill him, and literally, Jonathan, like, um, shoots an arrow, and many of you guys know this story, but, um, and just side, side point, that was kind of funny to me, you know, David was hiding for three days in that field, like, no food. <laughs> like, where is he going to the bathroom, right? Like, he's, I mean, this guy's terrified. Like, he knows, like, what's coming down. And he's hiding in that field for three days. And Jonathan comes. And instead of saying what Jonathan was going to say, he actually, Jonathan says it much more emphatically. He doesn't just say to David or to, to the guy, like, hey, the arrow is beyond you. Go find it. He actually yells out to his servant. He says, go. Get out, like, go. It's really far. Get as far out as you can. Like, you can hear the emphatic, like, emotions of his voice as he's trying to tell David, who's hiding, like, you got to run. And later on, um, once all his servants leave, like, they're not even supposed to see each other, right? They're supposed to be hiding, like, they're in jeopardy. Like, David just can't hold back. Like, as soon as his servants go, even if at risk of being seen together, David comes out so moved at everything that's going on, so moved at the love of Saul, or love of, of Jonathan, and just falls at Jonathan's feet, and they're just weeping and weeping and weeping. I don't know if you're going to find another passage in the Bible where two people are weeping so much together. They both endured the temptations of prestige, money. I mean, we're talking billions of dollars here. That's what, that was what was at risk. Fame, influence, both willing to, to be in reproach and in danger for one another. Their friendship endured testing. That's the beauty, because we get to have that kind of relationship with Jesus. Like, 
we think that, you know, I just picture it like the day that we meet Jesus. <laughs> Every time I think about the day we meet Jesus, it's really hard for me not to tear up. But it's not going to be like, you know, Jesus, you're back. Like, I live for you. And Jesus is like, <laughs> you know. But when I see him and he sees me, like, would we not react, hopefully, as David and Jonathan would, that he laid down his life for me and I laid down my life for him and we just run and we embrace and, and the realization of our friendship and, and the love that we have for one another, just falling on our knees and just weeping and weeping and weeping, right? We, we get to have that relationship with our God. Like this picture of Jonathan and David is a reflection of Jesus' own loyalty with God and an invitation for us to walk in the depth of that kind of friendship with him. He is not an aloof, distant God, but he's one who wants to draw near and suffers with us. This is the type of friendship that is, the Bible actually says, forever. If you look at the passage at the very end of it, Verse 42, as they're done weeping, Jonathan says to David, go in peace because we've both sworn, both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. Wow, like we can have friendships that are so deep and rich that don't just last in the span of these 70 years, however 80 years that we live but it is an eternal friendship that God even puts his stamp on of covenant relationship with one another that pursues the Lord, that lays down our life for one another, that sacrifices for one another, that stands for the kingdom, that believes in each other's callings and destinies in the Lord, even when the other person doesn't believe it anymore. Like we have the ability to walk in these friendships and God says this is a forever friendship. That millions of years now, my good friend, you know, Becca, <laughs> my good friend, Cindy, my good friend, like whatever it may be, it's a forever friendship. And we have the opportunity in the midst of the pinch of temptation and trial and tribulation on this side of eternity, we are able in Christ Jesus to forge friendships with Jesus himself and with each other that God calls forever and is pleasing in his sight. Let's go into a time of prayer, if you will. I'm going to ask Becca, actually, to come up and lead us in prayer. <laughs> Unless you'd like to lead us in worship. But, yeah. <laughs> Let's go into a time in response.